So James is getting really, really deep, isn't he? Like he comes out of the gate going, why are you creating so many problems? And then he answers the question for the reader. Doesn't leave it just okay, hey, go figure it out and hope it works out. He goes, why are you doing this? Here's why. This is exactly the issue. He says, you have this hedonistic desire for you, you, you. It's a lust, not necessarily sexual, could be, but you can have a lust for anything. You can have a lust for the football game, chocolate chip cookies, you name it, fill in the blank. You can have an unbridled desire. I gotta have this, I gotta have this. If I don't get this, if I don't move to that gated community, if I don't drive that car, if I don't marry the right person, if I don't have a certain amount of money in the bank, and we just, we covet, and we covet, and we crave, and we crave, and we wonder why we're the most discontent people on the planet in America. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we just come before you as we we always do. God, we know that if we just hear human words, it will be human wisdom. But if we hear from you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when our lives will truly change. And so, Father, we just simply pray that you would give us eyes to see clearly your word today. Give us ears to hear clearly your word today. God, I pray that we would have a heart that is soft and pliable at this very moment, a heart that hungers for truth, a heart that hungers for the Word, that desires it with a a thirst that says that I will not relent. I will have the Word at all costs. And so, God, we just pray, would you work? Would you move in my heart? Would you move in every heart in the room today that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll bend us and break us and renew us, make us so that we'll be more like Jesus. And so God, do that work, move me out of the way so that we just hear you and see you only. And we'll be quick to give you all the praise, to give you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible, turn to James chapter four. We have made it to the fourth chapter of James and all God's people shouted, Amen. Amen. We are in the fourth chapter. I pray this has been a a study you've enjoyed. I know it's been somewhat painful at times, uh, dealing with some in-your-face challenges from the Word of God. But we know the Word of God is powerful. We know the Word of God speaks to the heart. We know the Word of God is that mirror, that schoolmaster that we we look into the law, we look into the Word, and and it's truth. When I see it in myself, as I, I look into the Word, you see it revealing back to you who you are. We clearly see who we are. We clearly see whose we are. And we clearly see where we're going. Well, the title of the message today in your sermon notes, and I pray you have those in front of you, is simply this. Where do conflicts come from? Where do conflicts come from? Anyone in the church house today who lives a conflict-free life. Raise your hand. Conflict-free. 
Yeah, none of us do. We all have conflicts. There are challenges in this life. It's part of how we live, what we live in. And it's not an issue of, do you have conflicts? The issue is, how do you handle the conflicts? The issue is not, do you have them? Oh, you do, and you will. The issue is, how do you handle those? Well, here's the Word of God, what it says in James 4, looking at verse 1. He asks a question. He says this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Hmm. Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and can obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Doesn't sound real positive, does it? You do not have because you do not ask. Now look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Why? To spend it on your pleasures, your passions. Think about this. So when James is speaking, you've got to remember the context of the preceding verses. So turn your Bible the page over for just a moment there and look at James 3, 17 through 18. And it says this, but the wisdom from above, from the Lord, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So there's a long list there, a a list as we talked about last week that, that you and I can't attain. If you're trying to glean this, if you're trying to live this life in your flesh, you're on a fool's errand. You will never, I will never live this life of the fruit of the Spirit on my own. That's why we call it the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of John, not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We got too many people running around that are trying to live as Christians and they're trying to do it on their own. And no wonder they're not living the Christian life. They're they're living the self-life, which is self-focused, inwardly focused, the enemy of self, the me monster, the me planet, the me universe. And yet the Spirit's saying, hey, I'll live this life for you, but you got to turn yourself over to me. There's two thoughts I want us to look at here as we dive into chapter 4, verse 1. I want you somewhere on your notes in the margin to write down two words. Write down root, R-O-O-T, and then write down fruit. So root and fruit. Write, Write that down in your notes, root and fruit. Always remember this, church. Here's the deal. If you want to know how to get along at work, if you want to know how to get along at the family reunion, if you want to know how to get along at church on your ball team, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, remember those two words, root and fruit. There's always a root issue in the conflict, always. And the root will always produce the fruit. There's always a root issue, and it will produce the fruit. Secondly, I want you to think of this as we dive into the text today. And Every time you see the word you or your, you or your, I want you to make this personal. Make this really, really personal. So here's what the Word says in chapter 4, verse 1, as we unpack it together. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? you got to remember that James is writing here to Jewish believers. It's in the context of a church, if you will. And so he's addressing an issue that has to be an issue 
Otherwise, why would he be addressing it, right? He's asking a question saying, why are you guys arguing all the time? He's saying, why can't you get along? What is the division all about? You're a church. You say you believe in Jesus. How is it there's so much division among you? It's a pretty probing question. What causes it, he asks. In other words, what he's really saying is, what's the source? What's the origin? Remember root? There's always an origin to every conflict. How many people have ever been to the doctor before? Raise your hand. A couple of us. When you go to the doctor, do you typically walk in the office? He or she uh, walks in there. You're in the room. And you're sitting on the table. They say nothing to you. They don't even look at you. They just fill out a prescription, hand it to you, and leave. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? They haven't diagnosed, asked you anything. They just walk in, give you a prescription, see you later, I got to go. See, so many times in the Christian life, that's what we do. We're too busy trying to dress the fruit. We need to start dressing the root. We address behavior, but behavior can be modified. I can modify my behavior, and I can pull the wool over your eyes. But at some point, my heart's going to be revealed for what it really is. James is saying, what causes? He's asking this question for a reason. He's saying, what's at the origin? What's at the root of your conflict? If you continue just to address fruit, you'll never get to the root. And the enemy loves when we address the fruit. Yeah, just keep dealing with the fruit. God says, get to the root, get to the heart of the matter. The Bible says it like this, that the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who could even know it? And James says, what causes this in your family? What causes this in your church? What causes this in your ball team or your work? What is the source of it? Get to the source and you find the healing. What causes? We spend the bulk of our time chasing the fruit, and we think we're in neutral, but we're actually in reverse. I've seen this play out so many times in homes, businesses, ball teams, and churches where everyone's dealing with fruit. They think, hey, at a minimum, we're in neutral. You're not in neutral. You're in reverse. When you get to the root, you now begin to heal. I love this thought of this quarrel, this fight among you, he says, you, me, you. Quarrels, strife, disputes, battles, wars, fights, conflict, contention. Think about this. So in in my travels, this is what I came across of years of of doing what I do. Because again, he's talking to a church here. He's talking to a group of believers. In my experience, I very rarely have seen, this is in America, very rarely have seen churches in his context, James's context, talking to believers, why there's fights among you, what's going on among you, of all people who shouldn't be fighting, you're the ones fighting. I very rarely have seen a church explode from the outside, but I've seen more than I can count implode from the inside. Very rarely, like today, we're not being persecuted from the outside, at least for today, right? At least for right now, we're able to gather here to worship, to glorify God. And by the way, that's why we're here, isn't it? 
We're not here because I got to get what I want. We're here to glorify God, to be disciples, to make disciples. That is the mission of our church. We are dialed in. We're focused. It's with clarity. We know exactly where we're heading. I mean exactly. And what happens is we, we bring into the body at times all across America, well, these are my rights. This is what I've been here now for X number of years, and this is what we do. And what happens, the implosion is now simmering. There's people watching all around every church in America. They're looking for hope. They're looking for something to dull the pain and fill the void. If they see that we can't get along, what does that tell them? I really want your Jesus. He says, what causes these things? Get to the root issue. Don't deal with fruit. Deal with root. And as we do that, we see very clearly, as James outlines this, he talks about even through this, that in the midst of the conflict, here it is, in the midst of the conflict, you will begin to see what's really going on. I've said this before on on several occasions because I know it's true. Who you hang out with is who you become. Who you hang out with is who you become. If you're around godly people that are speaking truth, you'll become godly and speak truth. You got to remember that there's wolves in sheep's clothing. There's wolves in sheep's clothing. That's how this thing works. There's wheat and there's tares. And they infiltrate churches because they're trying to sow division. They're trying to sow discord. This is how the enemy operates. And he wants us to listen to those that are not speaking truth, but to those that are speaking falseness, non-truth. I made a note here. I said this. In the midst of the conflict, who you listen to and who you believe in tells more about your discernment than theirs. In the midst of the conflict, who you, who I listen to, who I believe actually tells more about my discernment than theirs. And so we got to build fences. we got to build barriers that say, look, we're going to walk in truth. We're going to be willing to say, this is not of the Lord. We can't be doing this. We're going to be people that when we ask the question, what causes wars and fights among you, we're going to know exactly what the root is. We're going to get right to the root real quick. You say, that's going to be painful. Well, surgery usually is. The only surgery that's not painful is the one that's not happening on you, amen? I've had people tell me that before. Oh, that surgery's easy. Yeah, you're not going under a knife. But that's part of the healing. If all you do is deal with the infection on the surface, you will never get to the splinter under the skin that's causing the infection. You got to get in there with a scalpel and you got to pull it out. And in our context, that's sin. In my context, that's sin. In your context, that's sin. If you don't deal with sin, sin will deal with you. And by the way, the carnage and the devastation and the ripple effect of sin is never singular. It's always corporate in consequence, always. Now, the enemy will tell you, hey, you know what, just do this and no one will know. Trust me on this. Experience, I got it here. Your sin, my sin will always produce some sort of corporate consequence, always. So here's what he says. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Question, answer. Is it not this, here it is, that your passions are at war within you? Passions. It's where we get our English word hedonism. Hedonism. Often we think of hedonism in most contexts as being something not good, amen? 
But in this context, James is not saying this is good. He's going, look, the hedonism that, that actually wars within you. It literally means this in your Bible where it says that word war in my ESV translation. It says this, that it wars within you. These passions, they, they, they war within you. In other words, this, that, that there's a waging of war going on. But look at this church. There literally is a battle where a military expedition is being sent out. So picture this. So every person that's alive, who's alive today, raise your hand. Okay, that's a bad sign. All right, so for you that are alive today, here's the deal. There's a war raging inside of you. There's a war. Oh, trust me on this. When you win the war with the man or the woman inside of you, you will then win the war with everyone else around you. We don't battle against flesh and blood. There is a war right now waging in every human being on this planet. Believe it or not, there's a war waging. And this is battle time. This is serious business that if we do not do business with the Lord and say, God, I need you to kill this in me. I'm not getting what I want. I'm pitching a fit, going Chernobyl, cake, streamers, the whole nine yards with my meltdown. I'm causing havoc everywhere I go. I just look back and there's damage of toxic relationships where I've destroyed this one and that one and this one and that one and this one and that one. If you don't go to war against this sin, it will absolutely destroy you and your family. I've seen it happen. I see it happen all the time. Talk to people every week. My family's a wreck. Okay, tell me what's going on. They tell me what's going on. No wonder it's a wreck. This is not overly complicated, but if you're trying to hang on to your life and hang on to the control of your life and not give the control to Jesus Christ, you will continue to be on this merry-go-round going nowhere. James says, what causes this stuff, this hedonism, this, these passions within you, this war, this enemy of self, the me monster, the me planet? That's why key number one is so important. I want you to write this down. Key number one, here it is. Write this down. The question that we must all ask ourselves is this. The question that we all must ask ourselves is, will I joyfully submit to God's will or my own selfish will? Key number one, write it down. The question that we all must ask ourselves is, will I joyfully submit to God's will or my own selfish will? Those are your two options and they're my two options. Every morning I get up and before my feet hit the floor, I got this selfish desire that's wagging its tail at me going, feed me, feed me, feed me. And I have to make a choice. You're going to make a choice, a conscious effort to say, I'm going to kill it. You're not going to have dominion in my life any longer. You're not going to destroy my family any longer. I'm going to go to war against you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians, write this down, supporting verse, Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 15 through 17, Galatians 5, 15 through 17. Uh, Paul's writing here, writing to the church in Galatia, and he says this, listen to what he says here. But if you bite and devour one another, hmm, sounds like an interesting church, doesn't it? Watch out, be on your guard, buckle up. 
Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So we got, we got biting, devouring, and consuming. 16, but I say, walk how? By the Spirit, capital S, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you see this, church? If we're walking in the flesh, we will fulfill the desires of the flesh. If you're here right now going, Holy Spirit's all up in my business, but I'm saying very clearly, I got to kill this in my life. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to continue to pursue self, you will continue to reap the product of self. Paul goes on and says this, the same verse. I'll just read 16 again. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 17, for the desires of the flesh are what? Against the Spirit. So make sure you're tracking, make sure you're seeing how serious this is. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed. They're opposed to one another. Why? Here it is. Here it is. Do you see the why? Remember, there's a command and then there's a why. Here it is. Why? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a battle going on right now. There's a battle waging in my life and your life. And the reality is this, as the war goes on, if we're not daily, moment by moment, submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit living on the side of us, here's what's going to happen. We will submit to the flesh. This is not one of those things that you just stumble into. Hey, how's it going for you right now? You know what? I'm, I'm just walking in the Spirit. Hey, how'd you get there? I have no clue. I have no earthly clue. But man, I'm flying high. I'm smelling colors. This place is awesome. I mean, really? You just stumble into walking in the Spirit? That takes an intentional pursuit. We have to be intentional about this relationship with Jesus. It's not checking off a box on a Sunday morning, although we want you here. It's great you're here. We're having a great time. I pray we're going in the Lord. But it's much more than just checking off a box. That's the whole problem with the American church right now. We've dumbed it down to checking off a box. When you give your life to Jesus, your life is no longer your own. You have zero, I'm talking zero entitlement to your life. Zero. I mean, I don't get any of it. None. Everything is Jesus's. And that's the life of freedom. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? You gain everything in this life, but you get to the end, and it was a fraud, it was a sham, it was a charade. That's going to be one sorry day for a lot of people, isn't it? Why? Because they never truly gave their life to Jesus. How about verse 2 of chapter 4? What does James say? I love this. You desire and you do not have. So you, me, you desire and you do not have. So you murder. Okay. So things are getting interesting, aren't they? You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. Do you you see this? You want, you want, you want, so you do. Did you catch this? You want, you want, you want, so you do. There's always a cause and effect, isn't there? But want, 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 okay, fine, here we go. So you fight and you quarrel. You, you covet, you cannot obtain. You do not have because you do not ask. This, I believe, right here is one of the most raw and ugly descriptors in all of Scripture of selfishness. I mean, when he says, when James says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you desire, you do not have, so you murder. Wow, this is serious stuff. Remember, the life that is out of control is the life that's seeking control. 
was talking to someone just recently, and they were being honest and open. And they said, my life's out of control. I said, tell me about that. They said, my life's out of control, and you wouldn't believe how I'm grasping in every area to keep control. And what happens is when the life is out of control, the life is not submitting joyfully to Jesus. When you submit joyfully to Jesus, you will see that the whole point of giving your life is that he would take total control and you no longer have control. Like that's the whole point. And through this word here in this verse two, you see this, that you desire and you do not have. So, so we had passions, which is hedonism, this deviant gotta have. And then he uses this word here. He says, you desire and you do not have. You desire. Literally means this, unbridled lust. So James is getting really, really deep, isn't he? Like he comes out of the gate going, why are you creating so many problems? And then he answers the question for the reader. He doesn't leave it just, okay, hey, go figure it out and hope it works out. He goes, why are you doing this? Here's why. This is exactly the issue. He says, you have this hedonistic desire for you, 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 it's a lust, not necessarily sexual, could be, but you can have a lust for anything. You can have a lust for the football game, chocolate chip cookies, you name it, fill in the blank. You can have an unbridled desire. I gotta have this, I gotta have this. If I don't get this, if I don't move to that gated community, if I don't drive that car, if I don't marry the right person, if I don't have a certain amount of money in the bank, and we just, we covet, and we covet, and we crave, and we crave, and we wonder why we're the most discontent people on the planet in America. I've preached overseas and it absolutely astounds you. These people will walk an hour to get to the church. It's a dirt floor. We're sitting in those rickety Walmart chairs. You know what I'm talking about? That are not made for a normal sized dude. (laughs) And by the time you do get in it, it begins to bend. And we sing for an hour, they preach for an hour plus, they fellowship for an hour plus, they walk home an hour plus, and they're the most joyful, content people I've ever been around. Why? Why? It doesn't make any sense. Here's why. When you get to the point, and I'm talking when you get to the point, no, when you get to the end of yourself, when you get to the end of yourself, and you realize with clarity, with certainty, that Jesus is all you have, you now begin to live a life that says, Jesus is all I need. But there is this war, and it just wages, doesn't it? There's a battle going on. And James says, don't allow this in your life. Matter of fact, Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, says it like this. Listen to this quote. Listen to this. You're going to tweet this out. Here it is. Ready? Spurgeon. This is the tragic irony of the life lived after worldly and fleshly desires. It never reaches the goal it gives everything for. End quote. Wow. Not good. This is actually the result. We will give everything in this life to pursue whatever it is in life. We will fill our garages with junk. Uh, We will pour in hours upon hours of stuff that doesn't even make any sense. And in the meantime, Jesus is over in the corner going, over here. 
over here. We'll give everything. We'll sell our soul for something that will never dull the pain and fill the void. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. So what's the result? He says, well, you murder. (laughs) Wow. I believe James uses that word for a reason. I mean, could there have been actual murder? I don't know. But I believe he used it for two points. I think number one, it was to awaken the reader. When you hear about murder, (laughs) at a minimum you go, I got to read this, right? But secondly, how many times do we murder with our hearts? Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, three chapters. You think you're used to a long sermon. Good grief. Three chapters, one sermon. Amen? And here it is. And he is, Jesus is just doing His thing. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. Bam, 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 bam. He says this, you murder in your heart. Why? Because your heart is coveting, craving. Got to have, got to have. Jesus says, I'm over here. I'll give you what you're really looking for. And yet we buy into this Humpty Dumpty, Mr. Rogers form of Christianity that's going nowhere. You covet, you burn with envy, anger. You cannot obtain, literally, there's an insatiable desire, is what he's saying there, for power, for glory, to be recognized. I never got as a child, and so finally now I, I get to be recognized. I want to be the star of the show. It's amazing what the me monster does within us, doesn't it? It destroys. I've watched this happen, not just in churches, but I'm talking in businesses, homes especially. I've watched homes get absolutely obliterated as both men and women give in to the me monster. My life, I don't care if I hurt you. I'll do whatever I want. Results, so you fight and so you quarrel. Do you see this? Are you catching this? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Do you see this? I mean, think about this. So the next time you and I don't get what we want, we now have an opportunity to respond, don't we? And James is saying, this is how you're responding. He's talking to the church. You don't get what you want, so you murder. We just talked about in James chapter 3, 1 through 12, taming the tongue. You murder with your mouth. Boy, it's so easy, isn't it? Once you get into a habit, and I see this happen over and over, I've seen people, churches, homes, businesses, ball teams, that habitually get into this cycle of dysfunction, and they've been in it for years, it's hard to get out of it. It's so hard to get out of it. It's a natural response. You punch me, I punch you. And James says, you can't be doing this. It's going to destroy you. It's like you're driving over a bridge. I know the bridge is out, and I just say, oh, have a good trip. Who in their right mind would do that? Of course you wouldn't. There's a bridge out. You go, there's a bridge out. That's what happens in people's lives. Look, there's a bridge out. You're going down a path that's going to destroy you. 
James says, look, you're not getting what you want, so you murder. What's happening? You covet and you cannot obtain. You have envy. It burns. So, you ever done that before? But someone just gets under your skin and you're just like, good morning. It's so good to see you. Welcome to church. And you just want to throttle them all in the name of Jesus. They took your parking space. They're sitting in your seat. And boy, what happens? That mean monster, it's just like, oh, we got to kill this thing. Results, you often war with words. You fight and you quarrel. You pitch a fit. You don't have. You don't have because you do not ask. Better translated, you do not ask from God. Right? I mean, who are you asking? Your friend, your buddy, your coworker? No. This is talking about you don't have because you're not asking God. And, and you see this very clearly here as we're going to unpack this here in verse 3. But you've got to remember that, that it all goes back to James chapter 1-5. James 1-5 says it like this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who needs wisdom besides me? Amen, right? Like it's hard to get out of bed without wisdom, amen? I need wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, James 1, 5, let him ask God who gives what? Generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So think about this. So think about James 3.16. Here's the correlation. All this is the correlation, James 3.16. Think about this. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. There it is. I'm talking to a person recently. and Okay, what's going on? Okay. And here's what they described in, in just a few words. They used a bunch of words, but they described it like this. Our home is selfish, and we got bitter jealousy. And then I'm like, okay, so let me get this straight. So you have a selfish home that has bitter jealousy, and you're wondering, you're wondering why there's confusion in every vile practice. Am I getting this straight? Yeah. Right here's the word. This is what you sign up for. Like if if in your home you go, you know what, we're going to be selfish and jealous. Okay, (laughs) good luck. Not complicated, but there's a war going on. Every person right now is fighting this war. We're battling, we're craving. That's why key number two is so important. Here's key number two. Write it down. Selfishness is blinding. Don't miss that. Selfishness is blinding and causes us to say and do things that are not of the Lord. Write this down. This is so important. Number two, key number two. Selfishness is blinding and causes us to say and do things that are not of the Lord. You guys ever been driving down Iron Bridge and that sun? You know what I'm talking about? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And, and that sun, what do you do? It's like, good grief. It's like you, t- you take the, the visor down. You don't even have those blue blockers. You know those blue blocker sunglasses? You know what I'm talking about. You're Baptist. You know, buy one, get 12 pair free, 1995, right? There it is. You're wearing those crazy looking blue blockers. Look like Elvis Presley, don't you? And even with those on, you can't. I mean, you can't see. It is so blinding. What do you do next? I mean, when you can't see and you're driving, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? You floor it? What do you do? I, mean, I panic, right? Have you ever driven to like a sandstorm before? Anyone ever done that before on a highway? I've done that before. I've driven in a sandstorm. You can't see a thing. 
When that sun blinds, what do you do? You either keep going in a calm manner or you end up in a ditch. So many people are blinded by the deceitfulness of sin. They don't even know it. And they're riding along in a ditch. I love Hebrews. Hebrews tells us this in chapter 3, verse 13. It says it like this. Hebrews 3, 13, write it down. But exhort one another, how often, church? Every day. Why would he say that, the writer of Hebrews? Why not once a week? How about twice a month? Why should you and I encourage and exhort one another every day? Why? Because I need encouragement, amen? Man, I need to be encouraged. Man, life's hard. Life's difficult. You need to be encouraged. Whether you want to admit it or not, you need encouragement. You love going to work, and, and you love when the boss tells you, you're doing a crummy, stinking job. Keep up the good work. Right? You love that, don't you? Makes you feel good, doesn't it? No, you want the pat on the back. We all do. That's a good thing. Hey, we're, we're working hard for the Lord, but it's okay to, hey, great job. Keep it up. Boy, that's a good thing. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called a day. Why? Here's the command, and now here's the why. Why? That how many of you? None. Maybe what? Hardened. Hardened and calloused. Stony heart. Rebellious. Oh, I can't wait till this is over. By what? The deceitfulness of sin. They're driving down Iron Bridge and the sun comes down on that windshield and you can't see. And there's a blinding effect that deceives. We lose our compass. Not sure if I'm driving left or right. Where's the middle of the line? Wait a minute. I'm in a ditch. That's what happens in our walk with the Lord often. It's so easy to become deceived. So what does he say in verse 3, though, that puts a bow on this and ties this all together? Look at verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Don't miss this. Why? To spend it on your pleasures. So you got three components here. You, me, we're asking What is he saying regarding asking? Like, what is he talking about? He's talking about prayer. Think about your prayer life for a moment. I'm thinking about mine. I've been thinking about it all week. Think about your prayer life. What does your prayer life truly consist of? I know as I analyzed mine, you know what I came to a conclusion on? A lot of my talking to God is centered around me. Is it a bad thing, church, to give our petitions to God of our needs and our desires? Is that a bad thing? No. But if the bulk of my prayer life is centered on me, how will my life be centered on His glory? (laughs) Prayer is not about God conforming to our will. Prayer is about us conforming to His will. Prayer is not where we're trying to strong arm a reluctant God Okay, God, I'm going to pound hard on this door of heaven, and at some point, I'm going to twist your arm long enough so you give me what I want. That's not prayer. Prayer is communicating with God, saying, God, I want your glory. If this disease is going to give you the most glory, bring it. If this calamity is going to bring you the most glory, bring it. If this situation in my life, which I don't like, by the way, it's lousy and it stinks, is going to give you the most glory, God, bring it on. 
what do you think God's going to do with that life that prays those prayers? See, James says you ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly. You ask, you beg, you crave, and you don't receive, you don't take hold of. Why? Because there's wrong desires. Literally in the original language, it means this, selfish, diseased prayer. Ever thought about that? That when I am selfishly focused, which is a challenge of mine, by the way, I always default to me and what's going to be best for me. How's this situation going to impact me? That's where my natural default is. No one has to tell me to do it. You don't have to teach me to do it. That's who I am in my fleshly nature. And I have to kill that every day. I got to go war against that every day. And so when I pray prayers that are not focused on God's glory, I'm actually praying selfish, diseased prayer. I'm asking amiss. I'm asking wrongly. The motive is what he's talking about. The motive. It's all about the motive. What's my motive and what's your motive? We all have motives, and motives can be good, by the way. We want good motives, but what is your motive? What is your motive? What's my motive? If you have jealousy and selfish ambition, think about what the root of your motives are going to be. Not a trick question. It's real simple. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. What the root is, is what the fruit will always be. C.T. Studd said it like this, C.T. Studd, what a great name. (laughs) He must have been a real stud. Here's what he said, whatever moves the heart wags the tongue. Hmm. That's good, isn't it? Whatever moves the heart, what are you moved by today? Are you moved by the glory of God? Did you go to sleep last night and you laid your head on the pillow and you're like, oh, ooh, I can't wait to get to the church house tomorrow. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear from God. I can't wait to get in this word. I can't wait to fellowship with believers. I can't wait to lift up his glory and his praise. Is that what you and I did last night? Did we prepare our hearts today to run into his presence? That's why key number three is so important. Here it is. Key number three. No matter how much I try to conceal my motives, they will eventually be revealed. Make a note of this. Key number three, no matter how much I try to conceal my motives, they will eventually be revealed. You got to remember when James is speaking here in verse three, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. There again is the selfish disease prayer. Why? To spend it on your passions. That word spend, church, is the exact same word that's used in the account of the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? Dad, this is what I think of you. You're as good as dead, even though you're alive. Give me my inheritance and give it to me now. Give me, give me, give me. Me monster, me planet, me universe. Just give me, give me, give me, give me. And what he did, he went out and spent it. He squandered. He wasted it. When James is using this word, it's the exact same word. He says, you spend it, you squander it, you waste it on all of your desires, your hedonism. I want you to think about something here. You cannot keep the charade going indefinitely if you've never truly given your life to Jesus. 
Can't do it. I've seen way too many people try this. And at some point, they bend, buckle, and break. Because trying to keep up something that's not real will never really last. It'll fall apart at some point. I mean, that's why we got to crucify the flesh daily, as Paul said. It all starts with, again, think about this, the desire of my heart, the thoughts of my mind, then spring into action. So what you feed your mind with is what you will take action on. What you're feeding your mind with is what you will take action on. If you're listening to nonsense, if you're watching nonsense, if you're reading nonsense, if you're hanging around with nonsense, you will take action on those things. Think about this for a moment. So we're real big here at this church about the Word of God, amen? We believe in the Word of God. And when you live the life that's a charade and you really get set free, it sets a passion in your life that will never be quenched all the days of your life. When you've been on the dark side like I have, you don't want to go back to the dark side. I mean, you don't want to play around with it. Think about this for a moment, the Word of God. So let's say that uh, uh, right now we know this from the data that the uh, average church attendance is twice a month. This is not if you've got to work or you're sick. I'm talking about the lazy factor. So the average church attender is twice a month. So I want you to work with me on this illustration. And by the way, when you ask those people in the data, they think they're regular attenders. That's the insanity of the question. Is attending church the end-all, be-all? Well, of course not, but how can you not be committed to something that Jesus Christ shed his blood for? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And here's what happens. So, so let's say that you suffer through a long sermon each of those two Sundays, and let's say, let's say the sermon is, is an hour long. If you're just listening without taking notes, you only retain on a good day 20%. So walk with me on this. In a month's period of time, you're retaining 20% per sermon, which is 12 minutes per sermon. You're retaining 24 minutes of God's word a month. And you got 43,200 minutes in a month. Tell me how your life's going to work out. I meet with people every week. They have no clue what they're doing, where they're going. Tell me about your walk with the Lord. No, 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 no. But I raised a hand, said a prayer, did a cartwheel, signed a card, got the fire insurance, and I'm in. Insanity, as they say, is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I can't do this for you. If I want this more than you want it, you'll never want it. You say, why is there such urgency in your voice? Because Jesus is coming back. And I am held accountable for the effort I put forth to teach and preach and spread the gospel and make disciples. Do you see why this is so important from James? Just a simple few verses that begin hopefully to recalibrate us, to see the real mission, what's really important in life. I thought about this. The extent to how seriously 
you take your walk with Jesus will be the extent to how seriously you fear Him. The extent to how seriously you take your walk with Jesus will be in direct proportion to the seriousness that you fear Him. When there's a fear factor in our lives, someone breaks into your house and they're about ready to ravage your home, You don't just say, hey, wait a minute, and you go to the microwave and make some popcorn and get the the pump butter. Praise Jesus for the pump butter, amen? Holy Spirit is hovering over the popcorn. And then you grab the remote and sit in your chair and just let them do their thing. What do you do? Well, if you got any sense, man, you're, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I'm starting a prison ministry. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is not going to end well. You're trying to hurt my family? Really? Like, really? Okay, here we go. What do we do, though? The enemy is just like, he doesn't ring the doorbell and go, ding dong, I'm here. Well, you, you got to start saying, not on my watch. Like, not on my watch. You're not coming in my house. Oh, you're not welcome here. Jesus owns this house. And yet it's just so easy to get lulled to sleep through our prayer life. That's why Matthew 6, 9 through 10 says it like this. Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Pray then like this. Here it is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do you see the fear factor there? The good fear factor? Hallowed be your name. When's the last time that you looked at Jesus and you looked at the Lord, you looked at God and said, hallowed be your name? Like, when's the last time you, you really stood in awe of Him? But we sing it all the time, but when's the last time you stood in awe of His presence? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you notice he didn't say, my kingdom come, my will be done? Matter of fact, when we really begin to fear God, here's our new prayer, my kingdom be gone, my will be exterminated, your kingdom come, not my will. My kingdom be eradicated, my will be exterminated. All for your glory. So here's the takeaway question. Here's what I want to really ponder as we close. Is it possible that it's my selfishness that is causing the conflicts with others? Just ask yourself that. I know it's a hard question, right? Who wants to really say, man, I'm selfish? I actually had a guy, not from this church, but I had a guy yesterday come up to me and said, my life's a wreck. I'm dealing with a bunch of junk. I said, what's going on? He says, I'm a selfish mess, is what he said. I said, praise Jesus. It's like, what are you talking about? I said, anytime you get to the point where you're able and willing to go, I'm a selfish mess, healing is just around the corner. The enemy goes, don't listen, don't listen, la, 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 peanut butter, peanut butter, peanut butter. And we continue in this cycle of stupidity that just reaps and wreaks devastating consequences. Is it possible that it's my selfishness? Mine, not yours, mine. That's causing the conflict with others. I think about this, how, how deeply that works. And if you're not willing to entertain that thought, there's a pride issue. Because church, your feelings will betray you. Don't miss that. Your feelings will betray you. I hear this all the time. Well, I feel this way. Great. You feel this way. What's the word of God say about this? I have no clue. Well, let's find out. Your feelings will betray you. Your feel, my feelings will betray me. Don't trust your feelings. Trust the Word of God. 
Remember, it's root and fruit. The fruit you produce will always be where you are rooted. And that's why the action step is so important. So here it is, action step. I will ask the Lord to reveal to me my selfishness within me. Notice all those me's. And then to give me the courage to repent. Action step. I will ask the Lord right now to reveal to me. He'll do it if you ask Him. To reveal to me, not you, but me, my selfishness that's within me. And then to give me the courage to repent. The sooner you admit the struggle, that I admit the struggle of selfishness, the sooner we'll be on the road to healing. How do I respond when I don't get what I really want? It's a great probing question, isn't it? So here's the last part I want to give you. I want to give you four verses to write down. Because here's the reality of God's Word. These are God's words from His Word. And the first two are verses on repentance. So these are two verses on repenting. Here it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Write it down. 9 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 9 through 10. Here's what it says. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, another messed up church. Here he is. As it is, I rejoice. Good thing. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Now that's an awesome thing, amen? Now when you see guys, when you see men and women and students, and I've seen this in men's ministry, I've seen guys sobbing. I mean sobbing. They are so broken. They're like, I see the error of my way. I see my sin for what it is. I'm not going to rationalize. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to call it what it is, and I'm going to get set free. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief, I love this phrase. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to what, church? To salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. What is worldly grief? Here's worldly grief. I'm going to tell you I'm sorry, but my heart is not changing. That's worldly grief. I will externally, with a smile, say, I'm sorry, but on the inside, oh, I'm after you. And a godly grief says, oh, I see my sin for what it is. I see my wickedness for what it is. And I don't want to walk in this any longer. God, do a work in me. And I promise you, and I've seen this happen, I've seen men especially who get their life on track with the Lord. They've made so many errors, so many mistakes, so much sin. But we've got to remember, as was once said, failing in itself is not the issue. It's what you do next that really matters. And Paul says, look, godly sorrow, not worldly then in Joel chapter 2, verse 13, Joel 2, 13, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and mercifully slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Do you see this from the book of Joel? Rend your hearts. Don't modify your behavior. No, truly, just rip that heart wide open and say, God, I need you to surge in my life today. Here's the last two verses. This is a warning, not from me, but from God's Word. So if you choose today to live in rebellion and say, I'm not going to repent. Okay, I plead with you, number one, to not go down that road. But if that's you today, 
Here's what you're up against. Revelation chapter 2, 5, the church of Ephesus, they lost their first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, turn, and about face. Don't walk towards sin. Run from sin. Kill sin. And do the works you did at first. If not, here's the warning, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. Guys, we got to remember this, that when we bring sin into the church house, we now, we now quench the working of the Holy Spirit for the whole church. I don't think people understand this principle. When we bring it in here, we are now quenching the evangelistic zeal and effect on our community. He said, look, I'm going to take your lampstand out of here. If you want to pursue self, Jesus says in Revelation through John, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take your effectiveness away from you. And you say, okay, well, that doesn't sound too good. Well, what's your last one? Does that sound any better? Well, here it is. Romans 2.5. So Revelation 2.5, Romans 2.5. Here it is. But because of your hard and impenitent at heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. I know right now we're living in God's passive judgment and it's real easy to get lulled to sleep and be asleep at the wheel spiritually, isn't it? God's not throwing down lightning bolts. He's not doing his Old Testament thing on people. So we get lulled into this mindset that, well, God must be okay with this. He's not okay with this. When we have that hard heart, we have an impenitent heart, a heart that says, I will not repent. That word literally means, I will not repent. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be a 40-year-old toddler. I'm going to go stiff as a board. I'm not going to do this. And God's like, okay, okay, this is what you really want to do. Are you sure about this? I'm sure. And what's happening, we are now, because James says it later in the text that we're going to study in weeks to come, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When you and I are proud and hard-hearted, we are actually looking to God and saying, God, I'm going to war against you. Who in their right mind would ever do this? But that's the deceitfulness of sin. We think it's okay. We covet and we crave. We war and we fight. Don't get what we want. And we wreak havoc everywhere we go. And what's going to happen? We're storing up for ourselves wrath in the day to come. I don't know about you, but do you think on that day when you stand in front of Jesus? And by the way, we will all stand in front of Jesus. I pray for every one of us. It's at the Bema seat. Because if you get to the great white throne judgment, there are no do-overs. And I pray this, and I think this, do you think Jesus is going to look at me and look at you and look at me and go, John, you took me way too seriously. John, you took me way too seriously. Like, you should have backed off on this thing. No, I, I think there's going to be many things that I'm going to see revealed. But my life and my selfish desires that have caused conflict and wars and fights that I'm deeply grieved over. How about you? Where do the wars and fights come from in your life? Are they always someone else's fault? 
Or perhaps like me, you could look in the mirror and go, you know what? I can see many instances where they're my fault. What do you do with that today? Do you hang on to it? Do you waller in it? Do you have a pity party? No, you give it to Jesus. And watch him make all things new. Amen? Father, we come before you. And God, as we lift up your name, we give you glory. God, I pray that as you're stirring in this place today, God, I've never seen a greater issue in homes and lives, businesses, ball teams, and churches than this issue we've been talking about. It's just so easy to default to the enemy of self. And so, God, I pray today will be a day of freedom for somebody. I know there's got to be more than myself that struggles with this issue in this room today. Would you give that person courage to repent? I'm talking real repentance. Not modifying the behavior, but truly rending the heart and not the garment. And so God, as you speak during this time, do the work only you can do. Repair that marriage. Repair that family that's in disarray. Relationships broken with children right now. Repair that man right now who's addicted. He's addicted to work. He's addicted to the dollar. He's addicted to impure things. He's addicted to alcohol. Repair that woman right now who's addicted. Addicted to her challenges as well. Maybe it's just the enemy of self in her life. I want control. I gotta have, I gotta have. God, repair us today. How do you do that? Well, you restore us. You bring us to Jesus truly. You illuminate our sin and we repent from that so that we are restored, repaired, reconciled, made whole, made new. God, will you do that in this place today? God, do the work only you can do. We can't manufacture a work of the Holy Spirit, nor do we want to. But we plead right now through the blood of Jesus that you'll set some people free today knowing there's great consequences that will follow if we refuse to repent. God, do the work right now only you can do, and we give you the praise, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend This Day in the Word.